Hello friends, this is Nathan Powell. I co-host a brand new podcast called Dynasty Double Take with Dan Sanyo. We join the DLF family of podcasts with unique Dynasty arguments in a short 10-12 to minute format. Dan and I love to debate Dynasty and we hope you enjoy our banter as we discuss topics like trade offers, coaching, draft capital, and much, much more. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and they on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore. I Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. I'm normally joined with my co-host, Jake Anderson at Jake Anderson FF on Twitter. Unfortunately, as anyone who's listened to the show over the last few weeks knows, um, Jake's on uh, new dad duties right now, along with his wife, who's on new mom duties, I assume. Um, uh, having just introduced new baby into the world. So I've been going through a series of guest co- co-hosts. This week, it's Matt Spencer from the Hateful Eight. This week, it's Matt Spencer from the Hateful Eight podcast and um, Sabermetrics.com. This is going to be a Scott Fishball 9-centric show, just so everyone, most people, who might be listening to this who isn't in the Scott Fishball knows to turn it off. Actually, though, seriously, my interest in the Scott Fishball 9 is varied, but I do think there's value in this just for learning about fantasy football. So if you want to stick around, we're going to try and mention some of that value and some things that we can reapply to the rest of our leagues, the ones where we actually care about, we actually care about more as a community. So stick around if you can. So Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, so yeah, you can find me at the Hateful8FF and SportsSaberMetrics.net. But uh, yeah, this is my first Scott Fishbowl. I've been watching it a few years and just never signed up for it. Right. But it should be pretty, uh, pretty interesting because it's a crazy, it's, it's almost like a, a massive DFS tournament on FanDuel uh, disguised as a year-long league. So, Yeah, I definitely think there's that aspect to it. I actually asked about that on Twitter about whether you should draft more or more recklessly or less conservative just because of the nature of the contest. I definitely want to talk to you about that at some point in the show because you're the only other person that seems to be publicly on board with that notion at least. So we'll get to that. And first off, I just want to say thanks for coming on and also just say that you are officially the first person to ever make a show sheet for the Dynasty Crossroads. So we appreciate you, John, (laughs) trying to organize this. Like, uh, I think you might be the first person to make a show sheet for the show that you're going on. And I just want to mention that and that I really appreciate it. So we are organized and ready today. Um, Crossroads audience, such that it is. Yeah, Scott Fishball 9. It's really interesting. Um, concept. Uh, I like the idea of a league that most or all participate in. Unfortunately, because Scott Fish is only one man, we've tried cloning him, didn't work, and we can't have everyone in it. Uh, 1,200 teams, though, is already more than enough to manage. It's divided into 12, um, 100 different leagues or divisions, sometimes called divisions, um, of 12 teams each, and basically it's a tier system. The season ends in week 12, and every the winner of each league or division gets funneled into another competition through uh, the next week, and then again and again, until you get down to two teams that face off at the end. Now, because of the nature of the way this is structured, one of my first thoughts is, and this is my second year um, being accepted into the Scott Fishbowl um, and I've had a great time last year, and I'm hoping to continue to have a great time this year. But something that occurred to me trying to prepare for this new iteration of the Scott Fishbowl was, like you say, playing it more like a DFS contest. Because if you're playing 1,200 teams and you're getting filtered down to the best of the best teams until the final week and where you face off against one, it's inconceivable to me that you don't face the best possible roster, at least at some point. Maybe Variance has you beat the best possible roster in the playoffs or something, 
but you're definitely going to meet them. That guy who hits on this year's David Johnson or last year's Kareem Hunt or the year before that's Alvin Kamara and hit all the wide receiver notes who have the breakout that we didn't see coming. And because of that, because the players that we can't or won't or don't see coming are going to be on the teams that you're facing at some point altogether, it's almost inconceivable to me that um, you don't have to be a little contrary. Um, what I called it was a license to be contrary, and you phrased it as more of a DFS contest. So, Yeah, um, you can call it a DFS tournament or whatever, but I found uh, as I was going through my projections, I'm – big stats guy and i always do like some kind of value over replacement or some kind of new crazy strategy i'm trying each year for my cheat sheets and you get to a point after you get through your starters you're looking at guys like duke johnson or carlos hyde or gus edwards you really have no point drafting them even though maybe some kind of value projection or whatever says you should draft them they're not going to do you any good because some guys going to be down drafting some guy you've never heard of just Gus Edwards like last year comes out of nowhere Alex Collins comes out of nowhere and just blows your doors off and you're wasting your time so you're better off treating it as take your first 10 rounds as viable starters and then just take 100% upside and I'm wondering if after looking at this maybe I've been doing it wrong all these years in my regular leagues too because I seem to get a whole lot of third place. Right. And um, Scott Fishmore has 11 bench spots, um, at least this year. So there is the potential of holding players just to see if they work out. But there's also that aspect to it as well. A roster price becomes a premium. And again, with 1,200 teams, although majoritively I think they're randomly selected, you, you're facing good players. There's stiff competition on the waiver wire each week. And that's the other aspect to it. Like you kind of want to draft your first round of waivers. Um, you kind of want them on your roster before the season starts. There's no trading, so there's no chance that you can make a good team um, through that aspect of the game either. It's really about drafting and waivers. And, and that all just lends to, I think, uh, one person who did reply to me is Sean Slavin from Matt2QBs, who's a, I'm a really big fan of his. I love his QB metrics. He's a very intelligent guy. He always approaches the sport in an interesting and consistent way. Like He's definitely someone to check out at Slavin22 on Twitter. He got within one point of winning the Scott Fishbowl last year, as, long, as well as a lot of other teams, because you do face so much so many mega teams by the time you get close to the end there. Um, but Sean did incredibly well last year. And something he said is he did not try and be contrary. He drafted sensibly, treated it like a normal league, and he just did well in the draft. So that is a counter argument there where if you go too contrary, then you're just going to shoot yourself in a foot. Um, last year, I used uh, very much a zero running back strategy. I took Kareem Hunt fairly early, and I took Andrew Luck fairly early, which was my best pick. But I went zero running back because I think that draft strategy is very much hit or miss. If you get the right running backs late, then your team is a monster. And if you don't, then you don't. I think that wide receiver heavy or zero running backs very much an all or nothing strategy. You're either going to get it or you're not. And so I like that last year as well. This year, the scoring system's changed a little bit. So I think we have to talk about if there is a strategy that can fill the needs. Um, and also just to mention, you know, you got two stat stat sheet warriors here. Like we're nerding it up in here pretty hard, dude. And oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll just pay respects uh, to how nerdy it has been getting up in here. We've been talking about Excel formulas and all sorts of stuff that no one else could care to listen to for even a second, to be honest. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, as much as we all obviously miss Jake. But um, what do you think about, like, what are your first thoughts? What, well, first start, what pick do you have in the Scott Fishbowl? So I've got pick 12, and I really hate it a lot. <laughs> yeah. off. Uh, anyone that tells you that pick 12 is a great pick is trying to do some kind of crazy mental gymnastics because they want to be happy about it. But uh, basically... This format has the the bonuses. So you get five point bonus for fifty rushing yards, fifty receiving yards, or three hundred receiving yards, and right. that there's also uh, tight end premium. So tight ends get an extra half point per reception and an extra half point per first down. So you're looking at Travis Kelsey being one of the highest scoring players at four hundred thirty six points in my projections which is going to be the receiver one if he was a receiver. 
so I'm looking at being at pick 12, not getting any of the first two tiers of running backs, not getting the tight end I want, not getting the number one quarterback, and then getting basically the value says I need to go receiver, receiver. So it's kind of a weird deal. Right. Um, I actually have the pick 101 in the Scott Fishbowl. And at first, pretty much everyone who joined the group chat, we've got a support group for those who have the 101 this year. And um, Anyone at the turn needs a support group. Right. Basically. Everyone came in hating the 101, but it didn't take long for everyone to notice that that 2-3 turn is actually looking pretty sweet for anyone who's drafting relatively early. And I kind of like having an early pick in the first round this year. It There is no... There was up until like a week ago, it feels like a consensus 101 um, for almost any format, but that's changed slightly as people have started to come off Saquon Barkley. I think with the loss yeah, of Odell people, Beckham and the downgrade in that offense as a whole. People have really started to shift more towards Seek in the last couple of weeks for sure. Um, I came, my my first thought early was that, say, Christian McCaffrey or CMC would, would be a really good first-round pick, but stay on the surface here for anyone playing. My general advice on this scoring system is, one, you got to notice that there are three flex spots, so there are a lot of viable players every week that has to play into your decision of who to flex. So the next question is, based on this scoring system, what kind of position is the better flex? And I think it is slightly different than general leagues that we play in. And two, don't tilt on tight end premium. The extra bonus, um, you get a half extra point for your receptions and a half extra point for um, uh, first downs because there's first down scoring in this as well. All doing tight end premium does is exaggerate the differences in the tight end position. I don't think it really creates more value for them. I think it just exaggerates the difference between having a top three tight end and having a top 12 tight end. Um, if you don't get one of your top three tight ends, then don't overdraft tight end four. Um, instead, just start shooting for those later guys. Um, and I think you might even be able to get them later because tight end premium takes a lot of people tilt. Superflex, just ignore the fact that it says Superflex and consider a two-quarterback league. You're going to need at least three quarterbacks, at least three quarterbacks. Um, I don't know how you about, go about it, Matt, but my, my initial assumption is I'm going to take two of the second tier quarterbacks very quickly in quick succession and then aim for later guys that tend to fall every year but they are going to be higher drafted than most leagues because again you just got a lot of people working on this format and are very smart at playing this league so they're going to try and create a scarcity at the position i do uh so i created a algorithmic tier system that tries to break up the projections into tiers and so you have a really big group of tier four which is right. it goes from deshaun watson mayfield rivers wentz winston big ben goes all the way down to mitchell trubisky and they're all scoring within 30 points of each other there's like 10 of them right. so you just want to target a couple of those guys even if you go into the second tier you're only dropping down 50 points so unless you're getting one of mahomes or a couple of guys there's no point in even worrying about it like i say i don't think the scoring system does as much to our way of playing fantasy football as some people are going to think. I think they're going to tilt over it. Treat it like a super flex tight end premium league, however you draft that. And we're going to get to bonuses in a minute to talk about some of the differences that they may or may not create. But that would be my general my general advice for drafting the Scott Fishbowl. The other thing is I've got a whole sheet full of stuff that I've been researching. Um, I'm actually doing a live stream event um, this Saturday, the 6th. I had to change the date because something else is going on on the 7th, just in case anyone saw that tweet or heard, heard my announcement last week. But we're going to do it on the 6th from 9 a.m. until the afternoon. It's going to be at least six hours of streaming. I'm going to try and get as many people as possible to come on and talk about their Scott Fishball strategy or just fantasy football in general. Um, and we're going to take donations for Fantasy Cares. And this sheet that I've been working up, I'm going to make it available for anyone who turns up for that live stream. So I'm going to try and keep, like, I try and keep what I say about what I find less staty. Like, I don't talk about my algorithms or, or my um, R squared as much as I just talk about my results, because I think I find more people fall asleep when I do that. I've, I've created a VORP, a, a value of a replacement player calculation, a value of a baseline player. Um, I've looked up the bonuses, a uh, uh, five-year history of what those bonuses would have done to the scoring um, for every player since 2014. 
Um, I'm finding it pretty useful, and I'm finding a similar thing to you that the three flex spots um, are one of the first spots, one of the first things I try to attack. There are essentially about what 205 players or 180 players to 205 who are viable to play every week. Once you take in the the possible of flexing 36 different players at one of the three positions, um, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. And that really has an effect. So the first thing I found was that essentially was that wide receiver threes basically outscore running back twos. And that's a stark difference, I think, from how most people think about the regular leagues. Like if you're going to flex, you want to flex a running back because those points are more predictable, they're more consistent. And there's always a possibility of upside if they catch the ball a little more than you think, especially even with half-point PPR. But in this scoring format, because you get um, an extra five points for every 50 yards receiving and every 50 yards rushing um, that a player does, what it does is create this advantage for wide receiver threes. And it's it makes a lot of logical sense when you think about it. What's more likely that Tajay Sharp, as a random example of a potential wide receiver three, catches 50 yards receiving or running back to, say, Austin Eckler runs for 15 yards. Now, Tajay Sharp is nowhere near the quality in Dynasty Redraft or any scoring format that Austin Eckler is, but it's a lot easier for a wide receiver three to catch 50 yards than a running back two to rush for 50 yards because they're normally running back twos. They're not the lead rusher in their offense. Um, and based on the bonus history and also the scoring history in points per game, that seems to play out in everything they do that I'd rather flex a wide receiver three than a running back two. Did you find anything similar, Matt? Absolutely. Uh, so I did the same thing. I did uh, projections with all the crazy scoring in here. did a value of a replacement. I did mine based on the last flex position. So right. uh, the 120th flex guy. And after about running back 26, it switches over and you don't care about running back anymore. Right. I mean, once you get past like James White, you're either flexing a receiver or you're looking for upside at running back. You're trying to get some guy that's going to spike in value. Yeah, with mine, I found that right around running back and wide receiver eight. After that, um, running back no longer has a points per game advantage for wide receivers. So it happens really early as well. Now, the same disparities happens. Like you want a running back one. I can't express that enough. You want a top five running back in every scoring format. That's getting two of those guys is how you're going to win pretty much every league. And I think the true is, same is true in Scott Fishbowl. But don't over-focus them. Like, reach for your guys by all means and be contrary by all means because you want those top five running backs. But if the guy that you want is for you, his floor is running back nine, then you're much better reaching on a wide receiver you th- can think can finish in the top eight. I don't think that's true of typical leagues. And again, it's just the likelihood of getting a, a 50 yards receiving. Uh, it happens more often than running backs get 50 yards rushing. Now, the fact you get bonuses for both, no matter how many 50 yards you catch, like if you catch for 150 receiving yards, you get 15 extra points. And that also, that's what's creating the extra value for those top three running backs because the order changes a little bit of who should be top three running backs. Like we always value PPR scoring. Running backs like Christian McKenna Caffrey and Alvin Kamara, who much more likely and definitely have a dual role, get an increased bump because they can catch and rush for 50 yards each. And you get 10 points instead of just having the one bonus for someone like um, Leonard Fournette, for example, who's much more likely to only catch um, less than 50 yards, but go for uh, over 100 yards rushing. So Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, those... those, um, extreme three down backs let's call them and they get a bump and he was actually the first person i thought of as drafting 101 and was christian mccaffrey because if he rushes for 100 yards and catches 50 receiving yards or the reverse he gets 15 points drop on dropped on the top of his score for that week and that's just a massive edge on a week-to-week basis same with alvin kamara and was there anyone else you thought of so i've got i've got pretty two two pretty clearly defined tiers uh, I've got Barkley and Zeke in the first tier, and then Kamara, McCaffrey, and Gordon. Gordon catches a lot more passes than people give him credit for. And Zeke, after Amari Cooper came in, he started drawing coverage a little bit more. He wasn't facing as many stacked boxes. He caught a lot more passes as well So in the second half of the season. So uh, for me, Zeke is the clear 101 
just with the fact that he's going to get the rushing bonuses and the receiving bonuses, Barkley just scares me way too much with the Giants offense. Right. I, I couldn't pull the trigger on him at 101, no chance. Yeah, I seriously think he'd be the 101 still, like if this was three weeks ago. But it just seems to me that um, people are starting to come off of him because of the concerns with the offense. Now, this is where I shout out Kent Wayranch. Um, on Twitter, he's been tracking um, Scott Fishball ADP based on based on Sleeperbot Scott Fishball 9 mock drafts. And he released all of that information in a downloadable Google sheet. And I've been, you know, harvesting that like crazy. It's some really interesting stuff. According to his data right now, however, Saquon Barkley is still the consensus 101. He has an ADP of 1.8. The closest is Christian McCaffrey at 2.5. So according to the mock drafts that Kent's looked at, Saquon Barkley's still the 101. Um, But like I say, I I was already fading on him. I'm just worried a little bit about, like Saquon Barkley, I do think is one of those running backs we can say is quintessentially more talented than everyone else. But the running back position is so dependent on the rest of the team and their O-line as well as what the receiving game's doing. And And all of it's been downgraded, all of it. Um, he's Absolutely. just going to have a hard time in 2019. So he definitely is a candidate to go 101. But at 101, I'm, I've been thinking about Christian McCaffrey, to be perfectly honest, as much as anything. He just seems to have a safer floor, safer ceiling, which is generally what people say. The only thing that's... Uh, have you seen his biceps? He, his what up? <laughs> his biceps. He... Oh, his biceps. Uh, yeah, right, right. no, that guy has gotten even bigger this offseason. He looks ridiculous right now. Yeah, off-season news, right? I but, know, um, off-season news, the, the, the off-season right now. Every, every year, there's a picture of someone looking ripped and someone looking fat. Like, I try not to tilt on it too much, but yeah, it, it's good to see Christian McCaffrey looking like a true beast. Um, I still think he'll be more of a receiver than a rusher, but, like, the guy's getting 20% of his team's receiving targets. Like, that's just... That's Le'Veon Bell territory, and Le'Veon Bell's the only consistent running back one we've had since... Since Lodanian Tomlinson, basically. So, yeah, um, I really like his receiving work, especially in this format. Um, I don't know, I'll go that way. Like, the, the only problem with that is like no one can make a pick before I do. So, it's not like I can see how the draft comes. But I'm really excited about that two, three term where it looks like I can double chat and um, two wide receiver ones or two tight end ones or another two running backs, frankly, um, based on this ADP. The only problem with talking about the guys at the top, though, even though they're the most exciting, is that they're all those, also the most boring. Like, that's those are the only guys I ever hear getting discussed. And something I noticed on your, sco- your show sheet, Matt, is that you have quickly turned from the top of the draft to talking about the guys drafted later, and I kind of love that. Do yeah. you want to talk about guys drafted outside of round 10 a little bit more? Yeah, so... I did my first mock draft this season and I got to like round six and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I, just, I just had no idea. It's like, uh, well, I guess I'm going to take this guy and about halfway through. So, yeah. So I decided uh, we used, I used Kent's uh, ADP we talked about earlier. And since this is kind of a DFS tournament, I came with the idea that uh, each round, you have to pick one guy that you think has the best potential of helping you win. Like he's going to be a, if it was the best ball, best ball, he would be starting for you in a given week. And it, this is almost going to be like best ball with the deep rosters and the waiver wire being so shallow. Uh, I was going to start from round 11, but we can start from wherever you want. No, we can go to 11. The only thing I'm going to say is the other thing is I think, People have asked me a lot about rookie running backs um, and where they're going to go. Right now, Josh Jacobs is going in the fourth round. The rest of them, uh, the rest of the top four running backs, following quick succession from the fourth round on. Just looking at this ADP, and that seems reasonable. Like most rookie running backs go from rounds five to seven in redraft and also startup dynasty leagues. So that's where you're looking to grab um, Josh Jacobs or David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, or uh, Dara Henderson, um, rounds four to six, seven-ish. Um, as for whether I grab those guys, I honestly wouldn't this year. I don't think they have a top five ceiling, any of them. Maybe maybe David Montgomery. Um, in Dynasty, obviously, things are very different right now, but like, I don't think I'm gunning for the rookies this year at that kind of value. Um, and when we get, uh, those are also kind of the rounds that you want to start 
if you haven't already, and you shouldn't, I don't think, take one of the top-tier quarterbacks in rounds one to three. You should start thinking about getting two quarterbacks around rounds five to six, and then again around 10 to 11, just based on the way the ADP has looked from Kent's work so far. So mm-hmm. if we're starting in round 11, just point out here, there's Andy Dalton and a few of the quarterbacks I'd be really interested, depending on how my draft is going. But I'm going to take quarterbacks out because I don't think that's those are the decisions we're trying to make in this game, right? So in, in round 11, the names, according to Kent's ADP, are Dee Westbrook, Delaney Walker, James Washington, Damian Harris, DK Metcalf, Trey Burton, Kiki Kute, Adrian Peterson, Emmanuel Sanders, and TJ Hawkinson. And for me, and this is hands down James Washington. That's that's the way I want to uh, go. Him or Delaney Walker, depending on how my tight end situation has worked out. Um, how about you in round eleven? James Washington is my guy as well. Ah, so, so I have a yeah. So I, I'm just like Peter. I got the crazy algorithmic, crazy model for uh, projecting rookie prospect success. And going back, he was pretty much tied for receiver two. So I've just been waiting for him to break out. And with Antonio Brown gone, he's got a chance. Big Ben likes to throw a ton of passes. So I'm all over James Washington this year. Yeah, I really liked him as a rookie. Love him in Dynasty um, in his rookie year as well for that reason. Um, I think also he has a wide receiver medium projection, wide receiver three medium projection. And again, where that's going to have a little more value than usual, I'm interested in him. Honestly, though, well, that's my favorite player. Getting Delaney Walker, Trey Burton, maybe, or getting like these are players that could be your tight end one in round eleven, and so you won't have to draft them as your tight end one probably. So in this round, in round eleven, I'm probably looking at Delaney Walker and Trey Burton just with the names available to me from this round. And um, T.J. Hawkinson is also in here. I, like I'm not gonna draft any rookie tight ends. Like I can already nope. tell you that. Never, so, never going to take a. The, so, so my model tries to project the fantasy points per year over their first four years. Even the number one, like hundredth percentile tight end rookie season, they're looking at like six points a year. I mean, there's just no point taking a rookie tight end. Yeah, you're hoping for Evan Ingram more recently, Robin Gronkowski or Jimmy Graham before. Like, you really shouldn't for the moon, and um, which is great in these later rounds, but. Um, yeah, I'm just not going to do it. I, I just think that's more unlikely, and Delaney Walker is still good. <laughs> so that's And as my tight end three or whatever, by the time I get to round 11, I just think that's really good value on Walker, especially in this format. Like, Walker has top five upside. I don't think he'll get there, but I think he'll definitely be usable for me this year, and I really like his value in that round. Um, so round 12. Uh, so, so an exercise I did this offseason uh, player profiler has depth charts for every single team. So I found it super beneficial to just go through every single team and just kind of take notes of guys that kind of had like a question mark status. Like uh, this round, Jarek McKinnon in the 12th round last year, he was going like the third round. Right. I mean, he he could be the running back for them. I mean, it could be Brita, it could be Tevin Coleman. We don't really know. But for me, it was him. Uh, looking at this round, there was also uh, Jack Doyle. Uh, Ebron did really well last year. He got a lot of touchdowns, but he could regress on the touchdowns. And Doyle could be healthy all year. I mean, he could he could be he could be the tight end there. And then you got MVS in this round as well, who could be the receiver too for Aaron Rodgers. But my guy was McKinnon, just because, like you said, the the running back scarcity is is real in this format you want a top guy and he could be the number one for this team right uh, you're the first the only other person i still hear mention um jared mckinnon in a serious not without trolling essentially and again while looking for upside at the running back position that's exactly the kind of guy that you don't see coming you don't want to project it because that's what not seeing it coming means but um he has that potential upside, or at least we thought so last year. And so I, I definitely like the German McKinnon pick here. Other names in this range that sound interesting, I'm trying to avoid these tight ends, but they all seem good. Jack Doyle, 
Um, Dallas Goddard for touchdown upside. They all seem interesting. Um, Marcus Vandal Scantling's going in the 12th round. Um, he's someone I think is a wide receiver three, whereas most people think he's a wide receiver two. But where wide receiver threes have added value this year, I really like him um, in this round 12. That would be my difference maker from round 12 based on this ADP, at least. Yeah, I was between MVS and McKinnon this round, for sure. Stop thinking like me. This is mm-hmm. this terrible. I, I, think <laughs> a bit, I think I'm a little bit biased because I've got pick 12, so I end up going... Re- I, I've, I did some mock drafts, and I went receiver, 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 because the, none of the running backs are any good at my picks. So right. I end up in these later rounds just going running back every single pick but if i drafted like a normal person mvs would probably be my pick here and um, round 13 is interesting because it's got a bunch of people that i think are running back twos which as i said i think has less value in this format than most but they're going outside of the top 24 in adp so example austin eckler's going as running back 47 ito smith is going as running back 48 justice hill is going at running back 49 Jalen Samuels is going at running back 51. So these are players that I think are running back twos that are being drafted outside of that or have the upside of being. So if I've passed on my running back twos earlier to get my wide receivers and tight ends, I think in this range from round 13 on, I'm really interested in trying to grab some guys that are undervalued like Eckler, Justice Hill, Ido Smith, and Jalen Samuels. And Naheem Hines is in here as well, according to the sheet I've got up in front of me. Who stuck out to you from this this range. Yeah, so because going back to the, how this is kind of like a DFS tournament, Fandle, right. uh, unless you went 0RB, taking Austin Eckler or Peyton Barber or Edo Smith, one of these guys, doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Uh, they're, they're really good if you went 0RB. Like Eckler could get some receiving work, but I think if Melvin Gordon goes down, you might see more Justin Jackson. Uh, for me, it was between Deonta Foreman and Jalen Samuels. In this round, for me, uh, we talked about this pre-show, but Foreman, he's just not the guy for me. His game log where everyone was super excited about him. uh, Yeah, I think he was a top 24 running back upside before he tore his Achilles. So, Yeah, uh, I mean, he was was like a running back three and then tore his Achilles. Uh, It's going to be the Lamar Miller show. I just, I don't. I don't think that I, I think we all want him to be a thing just because we've been waiting for so long and he had that crazy 2000 yard 2016 season. But for me, it's Jalen Samuels, the easy choice here because uh, James Conner, he, he kind of, he, he, he lost some snaps. He got hurt, I guess, at the end of the season. So I don't know. He, Jalen Samuels is a really good player. I think he could, he could win the job. So you, yeah, I think we're on the same page here. We just, um, you start dra- trying to get running back two production because people have already overdrafted running back twos in this scoring format. And that's kind of the way I'm feeling. I do think Edo Smith is and Justice Hill being kind of underrated. Like, I think that they have that potential here, which does bring me to a question. Like, I'm a big, uh, I'm really a big fan of Devontae Freeman. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. I think he's very talented. He is coming back from a long concussion history and a lot of injuries last year, though. What do you think of handcuffing? in a redraft or in just a Scott Fishwell? It kind of depends on the format. I think that if you want to get third place uh, every year, you should handcuff <laughs> your running backs. Uh, if you want to get first place, you should handcuff someone else's running back. It uh, seems to be the strategy. For me, I, I don't even think Ido Smith is the handcuff. I was talking to Sam Lane earlier today, and for me it was either Brian Hill or uh, Quadre Olsen. So we'll get back to that in my later pick, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think handcuffing your your guy. Uh, uh, JJ Zacharyson had a really good point on this. Uh, if you go back to his Evergreen playlist, some of his earlier podcasts, he he basically says, uh, if you want to win, handcuff someone else's running back one. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way of looking at it. Um, I do think Ido is the handcuff if I was going to handcuff Devontae Freeman, but if I have Devontae Freeman, I'm not drafting him. Um, and that would be one of the ways I'd decide between these guys down here, who's someone else's handcuff. Essentially, um, and again, the way I think of it is, do you want one big marble to shoot out a target, or do you want like uh, 200 BBs? And I'll just take the 200 BBs. I think if you just draft backfield draft that way, then if you don't get that backfield right, that's it. That's it. That's it. You're done. I'd rather have a lot more shots at trying to hit the target myself. Um, and so that's why I do it. 
Yeah, it totally depends on the backfield, too. If you're looking at, like, uh, the 49ers with Breida and McKinnon and some Coleman, I mean, if you go with the, like you're saying, just pick two of them and hope for the best, I think that's a pretty good strategy for sure. I guess if, if you can get them really, really late, too, like Ito is going, what is he going, in 13th round? I mean, that's... In a standard league, that's totally worth it as a handcuff. Yeah, so I think this thought process is working for me. Once they get outside the 10, it's look for value of positional value. Those being drafted outside the 24, who I think are inside the 24, um, depending on what my draft's done already. And then look for wide receiver threes over wide receiver twos and stick with upside, like drafting running back twos or drafting handcuffs from someone else's roster. Part of the trying to be a little more contrary with this draft than I would a regular dynasty startup or even a redraft. Like at the top of the queue, one of my options at 101, not gonna say not saying I'm gonna do it, but one of my <laughs> options at the top is going for David Johnson. I really think he has strong top three running back upside. And if I want him with a 101 pick, I have to take him 101 because he's not coming back to me. And where it's a more you know, get your guys be a little contrary to ADP kind of a format because of the teams that you're going to face eventually, at least that's an option for me. But is there anyone down here like uh, after round 10 or round 14, where we're at right now and later that sticks out to you as one of those guys, you're going to overdraft them because you think they have serious potential to be a difference maker. Deshaun Hamilton in 14, it's just going to be like a slot receiver. He's going to, he's going to be a consistent starter for you in your flex in this format. So he's not going to do it. You've got uh, Albert Wilson in round 16. He's just ridiculously undervalued, but he's not going to be that guy you're talking about where he's going to, uh, just spike you in value like that. Uh, for me, it's actually uh, probably Brian Hill in the very last round of this draft format, just because uh, you, you talked about uh, Devonta Freeman's concussion history and Ido Smith. Uh, I don't think that you, you have you have Ido Smith looks he looks like a satellite back. He doesn't right. have the uh, he doesn't have the size and the production history from college to be a, a one and two down back. And then you've got uh, Quadri Olson they drafted. He doesn't have the receiving uh, potential. So he looks like a one and two down back. So they could switch to a running back committee and just have Olson and Ido Smith. But they've got a guy that's just been in waiting, Brian Hill. Uh, he actually came out of my model looking like a uh, – I think he came out – let me say I got it right here. Yeah, he came out of my model looking like a 85th percentile running back. Uh, he has – the only bad mark in his entire profile is he didn't play against top competition. He only had a 35th percentile competition score. He has the potential to actually take over the job. Uh, right. I think if Ito or Quadro Olsen get the job, it's just going to be a committee and no one cares. So yeah, he, he'd be my pick I, from the later rounds to be the I, league winner type of guy. Right, I get you. Um, I hate all of those, which means I love it because it's about, it's about time we disagreed on something. Like, I just don't see it with Hamilton. Um, I appreciate the wide receiver threes have more value here, but I think I'll struggle to be a wide receiver three and much more in, on Colton Sutton as value this year. It, it's really tough to choose between some of these guys. One thing I'm noticing is that there are a lot of, again, in this range, this is the third time I've said it, there are a lot of tight ends down here. I'm like, man, they have higher ceilings and where you do yeah. get bonuses, they can be really valuable to your roster. I'm noticing Jordan Reed, has serious top fighter upside guys, and you're getting them outside the outside the thirteenth round. I love that guy, Jimmy Graham. If he isn't a top twelve tight end this year, it'll be the first time if he plays a full season. Just to point that out, and someone who normally doesn't end up on my list, but where I'm really shooting for upside this late, I am interested in guys that are a little too young to actually produce, but could be one of those random Evan Ingram types. And Mike Gusecki's going outside the top 13 rounds. Um, so just going to throw that yeah, out there. He was, he was athletic freaking nature. I was like trying to target those guys at tight end position because you never know what they're going to do. Yeah, everyone was kind of into him last year. And I guess they still are in Dynasty, but where he's dropped outside, like I say, he's in round 14 right now, according to Kent's draft, according to Kent's ADP here. Like he has serious upside based on this scoring system. 
I don't think he's going to hit it, but I don't mind overreaching where his ADP is, according to Ken. I mean, if he goes in the fifth round in your league, don't sweat it. It's fine. But if you're getting him outside around 13, like, um, and I need that kind of upside at the tight end position, he's a name I'm looking at along with Jordan Reed and Jimmy Graham. Um, the only running back that really sticks out to me down here, um, actually there were two, is Dion Lewis and Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown's like discount Daryl Henderson kind of a bit, so I don't think I need to explain that anymore. Um, but I'm willing to overreach for him. He's going in rounds round 18, I think, right now. According to Kent's ADP, again, read your drafts, not, not what this ADP says. A random name like Jarrett McKinnon, I'm surprised to see and surprised it interested me is um Dion Lewis. Yeah, I mean, I think he was uh he was hurt a lot of the last season. So, I mean, that Titans offense, they can only go up from here. There's they, they can do worse than last year. It's like the Cardinals. I mean, he I mean, he was great for the Patriots. So, I mean, if he can get the if he can get the snap share and some of the receiving downs work, I think he can be productive, especially I mean, he's he's going so late. He's completely fallen off the radar. And Matt Breeder as well as someone that sticks out to me in the 15th round at running back. Wide receiver, my names are always endless, <laughs> to be honest with you. But trying yeah, to narrow it down right. here, I, I see Traquan Smith, uh, Dante Moncrief. Tyrell Williams is a guy I don't hear enough about anymore, but why, why not? Trying to go a little deeper, Kendrick Bourne, like as a outside, unlikely wide receiver 2-3. That that's super deep. Yeah, that's like he's like in round twenty-four or so. I, I'm happy to reach for him at round twenty <laughs> if I if I feel like I need uh, that based on the way my draft has gone. And someone I forgot to forget mention that tight end all the way at the bottom here. I think this was like round twenty-five, the very last round, and um, nearly the last pick according to this ADP. Um, Ricky Seals Jones. My only problem with Ricky Seals Jones is that. Um, he didn't have much of a college background, but I don't care about that much for um, tight ends specifically. Like, I want it, but I don't have to have it. He showed well as a receiver last year. He's going around 25, and if he's, you know, if he's a top 15 quarter, uh, tight end, then that's incredible value in the scoring fam- format. Um, but the only thing I don't like is there are just way too many people on the Cardinals that we need to hit to even get 50% right at this point. Everyone's going to be good on the Cardinals this year, and I'm not so sure everyone can be. So uh, Ian Thomas is going pretty late down there, too, if you want to talk about tight ends. Uh, I mean, Greg I Olson could still retire. Yeah. I mean, he, he's he been hurt the last two seasons in a row. Uh, and Ian Thomas came out of my model as more of a pass-catching tight end, uh, and they, they have no one. They have uh, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, and then... I think Tory Smith is still on the roster. They don't have they don't have a tight a receiver three of consequence at all. So Ian Thomas could come in and command a pretty good target share in that offense. Yeah, same process with Adam Shaheen on the Bears. Um, Trey Burton did it. We should value him, but we don't. But um, like Adam Shaheen was a really good college prospect. I think him, Ian Thomas, Mike Gasecki, they're all a similar bet. You kind of just choose your favorite upside and that's the thing like we're naming way too many names like at this range everyone's got their truthers i just saw justin jackson definitely like that bet in round 21 can i get you and i don't know i can do it so i'm gonna try and do it here to like pick one per position who's your league winner for tight end running back wide receiver um outside round 14 so if i'm picking a tight end this late it's ian thomas he would have been dallas godert but he kind of misses the Misses the cut by a little bit. Just if anything happens to Zach Ertz, then he's going to be like a league winner with the way they've targeted the tight end. Uh, they might switch with some of their other pass catching options and just not target him as much, but you never know. Uh, but Ian Thomas will be my guy. Okay. I'm going to go with Jordan Reed. I know we've mentioned these guys, but like really narrowing it down. Who's your guy that you will reach on on that? Because I hate it when people mention like 50 different names and like i can't draft all of them so jordan reed if i had to pick from all these great tight end options down here it would probably be jordan reed you got lots of options down here the ones i mentioned i'm gonna mention justin jackson he's really deep uh, around 20 or later melvin gordon i love but justin jackson's got a hell of a lot of upside like i don't think that's top 24 upside i think he has like low odds to be a top 12 running back if something terrible hopefully doesn't happen to Melvin Gordon, 
and that's kind of what I'm searching for if I'm looking for a league winner. He's got a three-down skill set, epically productive in college, more highly drafted than Austin Eckler, who's definitely more of a receiving back. Any love for Justin Jackson from you? Oh, yeah. So uh, he's actually my target in the 19th round. Uh, right. It's like you said, he, if anything happens, he could be three-down back. Pretty sure that it's going to go on a committee, though, where he just does one-two and... You got Eckler taking the receptions, but you never know. Justin Jackson in college, he was he he was like a production monster, and right. I've been trying to find a way to kind of fade those guys a little bit that just have that level of production, kind of cap it a little bit. Uh, but he looks like he could be he could be the guy. So he he has a little bit more upside than some of these other guys. Awesome. Um, yeah, um, my my pick would be T.J. Yeldon just because uh, it's not going to be a great offense. But, I mean, LaShawn McCoy's been doing it for, for years. I mean, it hasn't been a good offense in several years. And he's – Shady was good year before last. And year before that, he was uh, running back one, I believe. And, I mean, TJ Yeldon's the only one other than Shady that looks like he could actually be uh, an all-purpose back. Everyone else has something going on. Like Singletary, he's slow and small and small school. I, uh, he's not He's not doing it for me. Yeah, I keep trying to change out my running back name. Seriously, after around 15, 16 here, there's a whole bunch I want to take shots yeah. on. And I want to, and you know, drafting the Scott Fishwell, I want to try and leave room for them. So that's kind of good to know as well. If this is the way ADP goes, that ADP is such a fickle beast, especially if uh, a draft where we have less history on because it's a new scoring system every year. Okay. Wide receiver, do you have a name of a potential league winner or difference maker at the wide receiver position this late? Albert Wilson. Yeah, I, I'm, he, I'm not I'm not about it, but it's good to hear someone still on the truth of train. So, yeah, he, he barely played any games last year, but he was the number one wide receiver in the NFL for points per uh, route run, fantasy points per route run per uh, player profiler. So... I mean, he looks, he profiled really well as a prospect. He was undrafted, so he kind of got a late start. And so now the Dolphins have a new coach. They've got new uh, new quarterbacks. I mean, they just kind of did a total regime change. And their receivers are Kenny Stoles and Devonta Parker and Albert Wilson. So normally when you get a new new everything, you start targeting the tight ends and the slot receivers more. I and mean, there's no slot receiver of consequence. It's Albert Wilson and Albert Wilson. There's no one else. <laughs> right. So, and he was really good in college. He was definitely like someone I was high on coming in. He's just fairly late in his career for the way I search for him. But yeah, I definitely yeah, like Albert Wilson. He's already 27 years old and he hasn't done it yet. So that, I mean, that would be a ridiculously old breakout. It'd be like Adam Thielen. Right, right. Um, but later in his NFL career, even than Adam Thielen. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to say Josh Reynolds, the very, very rare wide receiver handcuff. Like, I don't think Josh Reynolds is going to do it because there are way too many good wide receivers on that team. But again, trying to, for a guy to hit that high, something unexpected and almost unfortunate has to happen. Um, and I'm looking for top 12, not top 24. Actually, a wide receiver, top 24 upside would be a big thing to find this late in the draft. Um, but there are so many guys I kind of like for that. I think Josh Reynolds, like Cooper Cup's going to be slow to come back this season, I think. And what if he doesn't? Or what if someone else drops off? Then Josh Reynolds filled in really well last year. He was a very solid rookie prospect in terms of what he did in college as well. Again, not to get technical about it. See, I'm staying vague, which makes it sound narrative-y. So, you know, I'm just trying to trying to make the narrative crowd happy. But he was really good last year. Um, he was a top 24 wide receiver every time he had to fill in for an injured player last year. And he was the guy who filled in. He filled in in a very different role um, than Cup or Woods or even Brandon cooks which also encourages me he wasn't just getting their targets when they needed another wide receiver they used josh reynolds the way josh reynolds should be used um, and and so that to me says that the player was what replaced it not missing targets or anything like that and so again we're getting him 
Like, I think he's around 25 guy as well. Like, he's really late, but I, I'm willing to reach, you know, at this range, three, four rounds pretty comfortably if I want that kind of upside at the wide receiver position. All right, man, I, I think that takes care of deeper guys. Like, we've really, really put ourselves on the line there. Not that there's not, there's not actually that much at risk, but to name one guy is a lot more difficult than name 50 that you really like. Like almost everyone has at least 20 guys at every position they like that deep. So I appreciate you coming along with me on that. Um, could you tell me about your cheat sheet? You've got it listed here as like a resource on the show sheet, but I think that has something to do with your other work. And I want to know more about what's on it and what you did with it and what it can be used for. Yeah, so uh, this cheat sheet, you can find it as part of the Hateful Eight uh, draft loadout. You can find it at averagejoenation.com. But uh, I've totally stole the uh the formatting on this from beer sheets which is awesome uh that does kind of cheat sheets during the season but it's got value of a replacement uh provisional positional scarcity uh i've got a algorithmic tiers in here uh but it's just kind of a good way to break up your uh your cheat sheet. You just look at it helps you kind of see across the position. So the biggest thing for me on this that has helped is uh say you're looking at the the third tier of running backs so like Nick Chubb, Marlon Mack, Damian Williams, and you're looking at the the receivers across, it seems like uh you should take a receiver because the value says you should take a receiver. But if you look at the positional scarcity after those guys, there's just no one left. You're looking at guys that you just don't want to draft, like Chris Carson or Lamar Miller type of guys you're going to end up with. So it's it's trying to help you figure out the, the scarcity, the value of your picks, and kind of the tier breakdown across the positions. Yeah, I took so, a look at it. It's really, it's really well laid out. I can see how it will be helpful while going through the draft. Just to have something where you can cross off a name so you know they're not available anymore and you don't miss a guy. Like that alone, that's really useful, <laughs> especially when MLF ADP, another thing to think about while drafting on the Scott Fishball is going to be left the center of where you want it when you organize by ADP. And um, so I think it's really important to make sure you have a list to make sure you don't miss one of the guys that you want or one of the guys and doesn't get drafted and everyone forgets. Like that would be a really big advantage in this. Hey, do you want to talk more about the his- history of the bonuses? Yeah, so uh, I did a study of the bonuses. Me and Jesse Reeves were looking at this a little bit. Uh, and what I figured out is I think people are basically going to super overvalue the bonuses. They're just really flat. Like, for instance, the quarterbacks, the bonuses range from 55 down to, like, 30 points for the top 25 quarterbacks. So you're talking about a difference in 25 points. I mean, it's, right. it's almost nothing. And on a week-to-week basis, it's pretty volatile when you're going to get the bonus. So it's not really something you want to count on anyways. So, And and no quarterback ever hits 600 yards. I mean, it just doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. even Mahomes last year going crazy, he wasn't hitting 600. So Yeah, really the only bonus is available. Sorry. Yeah, it's yeah, just really different. the only bonuses available for quarterback. Uh, 300 passing yards, you get a bonus for that, and then maybe 50 rushing yards. Like you say, anything over that, just you don't get 600 pass yards for quarterbacks. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen. And I think, too, that uh, if you're rushing, you're not passing. If you're passing, you're not rushing. There's only a certain number of plays per game. And if you you think, oh, uh, Lamar Jackson, he's a, he's a rushing quarterback, well, Scott Fish kind of thought of this and he penalized the intersection interceptions a little bit more. Right. So your Russian quarterback scrambling, throwing more interceptions, uh, it's going to throttle you just a little bit. So honestly it ends up balancing out. So there there's, it's super flat. It's basically get your, your standard quarterback rankings and just call it a day. Maybe like uh, right. if you're, if you're a Russian quarterback, like Lamar Jackson or Mitchell Trubisky, or you're a really interception prone quarterback maybe Winston or uh Stafford are probably uh, probably piss off some Lions fans but uh it's gonna throw yeah. you back a little bit yeah I think there are some edges like Christian McCaffrey might get you know like he did last year 11 games with over 50 rushing yards and plus nine games with over 50 receiving yards and that adds up to a lot of bonus points 
DeMarco Murray is the highest bonus scoring point player I found since 2014. He got 160 points just in bonuses. Um, and he had uh, 12 over 100 rushing yard games. So, like, a heavy rusher can do it. But that season was unbelievable, um, even compared to most great seasons. So, Le'Veon Bell in 2014, for example, another, like, one-in-a-blue-moon type running back season, he only got 140 points. So, it's not like players can't do it through rushing. Um, but they have to have like all 16 games have to be over 50 rushing yards plus 12 games over 100 rushing yards. So there is an edge to it. Um, but again, that's an edge leaning more towards receiving than it is towards rushing. But Leonard Fournette is a name that comes to mind who might get, uh, you know, 12 games with over 100 rushing yards. Derek Henry is a potential. So I don't mind reaching on those guys at the other positions, but mostly re-rank the tiers a little bit based on it. But I wouldn't over-adjust. I always try not to over-adjust for format, right? I think most people, when they try to adjust for the differences with this league, are more prone to overdo it than they are to gain advantage from it. So just be careful when you're thinking about those bonus points, and yeah, not just for the quarterback position. If I'm, if I'm approaching a, a normal league with milestones, my main priority is try to do a bunch of two-by-one trades to try and uh, get more elite players because they get more bonuses. But this Scott Fishbowl has no trading, so it becomes a moot point. So you're just you're just talking about everyone being flat. So you just rebalance your projections a little bit and call it a day. I think that's why I lean CMC a little bit, though, because Ezekiel Elliott is the only running back on the list that I've got since 2014 to have seven 100-yard rushing games since 2014 in two different seasons. Saquon Barkley has done it once last year. Um, and like I say, DeMarco Murray is the only one to have more than seven since 2014, which just, again, highlights how rare that is for a rusher to score that many bonus points in this system and why you shouldn't lean on it. And like the upside is seven. Elliot's done it twice, so I get leaning that, but it's a little more, for me, leaning on bonuses. And so I, I just like the balance of um, someone like Christian McCaffrey, even Alvin Kamara um, at the top of the chain there. Yeah, if I if I had the 101, it'd be between CMC or Zeke because of the bonuses. Last year they were they were uh, pretty far ahead of anyone else. They're at 140 and 135, and Zeke's averaged 118 so over his career. So I, I probably CMC would probably get the edge on the bonuses. Right, and to your point, last year Christian McCaffrey was the second highest bonus scoring last year with 135 to Elliott's 140 in terms of raw bonus points. Julio Jones came in third because he had like 10 games with over 100 uh, receiving yards. Um, and, you know, that's the benefit of Julio Jones right there. And he can do that again this year. Um, followed by um, DeAndre Hopkins. So you can see bonus scoring wise, like the, the, the same players are still intermixing. Like you still want to have the same guys at the top of your chain there. Um, but like I say, it evens out to around 95 points relatively quickly. Like, I just don't want to over-tilt on the bonuses at all. Is there a player in this format that you think stands out that way because of the scoring system? Like, we've mentioned Christian McCaffrey as a positive, but is the one that sticks out as overly negative because of the bonus scoring? Like I, don't, someone who... I don't have anyone overly negative. Uh, right. Maybe maybe Matthew Stafford uh, is probably going to get overdrafted, but I think it's more people are going to reach more, like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, Mitchell Trubisky. They're gonna they're gonna try to draft him way too early, but I don't see anyone honestly as being too negative. I'm trying to look for a player who, while he puts up great numbers, doesn't typically do things that gets the bonuses. One that sticks out in my mind is Mike Evans. He's much more of a touchdown scorer than he is a yardage creator, um, but he does have like a, he had five games with over 100 rushing yards, uh, receiving yards in 2015, so he can do it with epic receiving yards rather than steady 50 point bonuses. Um, but yeah, I'd be more worried about those guys who are heavily touched down, or I think might be in 2019 at least, more touched down than yardage basis, just because of the nature of the way the bonuses are going towards those yards. Michael Thomas, for example, is someone who consistently get you like more than 50 receiving yards every game, and therefore I think that gives him a little bump. Whereas someone like um, Calvin Ridley last year, or uh, Mike Evans pretty much every year, 
always relies more on touchdowns. I think they have an under, unnatural disadvantage in this scoring system at the wide receiver position. I can't think of a running back that's much more touchdown dependent than they are receiving dependent in any given tier. And so I don't think it overly affects that position anymore. And again, I'm not down on those wide receivers, although historically I've been uh, Andy Mike Evans is, uh, as uh, me and quarter hacks from the dynasty dogs podcast well no we have a we have a off-season bet going into 2019 over adam thielen and mike evans but um i think maybe there's something like dallas got it last year and um, did remarkably well for a rookie but it was heavily touchdown dependent i don't think his opportunity in terms of targets is going to go up we know about these guys like eric ebron that you already mentioned at wide receiver i think uh, there are some more names that, you know, you just want to have it in the back of your head. Wait, that's a guy who normally gets touchdowns, maybe. And those are the only two I can think of right off the top of my head. Though. All right, Matt, is there anything else you want to talk about or anything else you want to talk about with the Scott Fishbowl? Uh, but I think we hit on everything. Uh, thanks to everyone again. Thanks to Matt for coming on. Matt, do you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. Just uh, just check out our team at the Hateful 8 ff on Twitter. And uh, my guy, uh, Josh Levy one on Twitter, has helped me out with Sports Saver Metrics. On that. Yeah, make sure you check both of those out. It's a great podcast too, The Hateful Eight, um, available on Stitcher at least, I know, because that's where I listen to it. Find, so, it. find us anywhere. Yeah, right. Thanks again for checking us out. If you did, we hope that this has been useful to those teams that are maybe joining the Scott Fishbowl or at least some interesting information on running backs versus wide receivers and rushing 50 yards for receiving 50 yards. I found that interesting just in general. But um, thanks again, and we'll see you again next week at the Crossroads. Bye. That's it. That's it. That's my version of a terrible introduction. Terrible introduction, <laughs> terrible outro. That's uh, that's that's all she wrote. You're at the dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. The dynasty crossroads that Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape.